Standing Against the Devil, Part 2, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 6. We did a series on the devil and the demons. And uh, now we're doing a really good section by Paul on how to stand up to it. And uh, I'll, I'll begin reading at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shied your feet with a preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith in which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all per perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And that's a uh, stop there. Now we're in the middle. I, I was doing application last week, and I did four applications. I have a couple more, and then we're going to look at the verse about where he identifies the demons and defines them. And we'll, get, we'll, we'll begin, we'll, we'll look at verse 11, 12, and perhaps start verse 13. So we're looking at uh, Satan and his minions, um, how they like to attack, and this is number five. Satan and the demons not only like to attack during a crisis, that was our last point, or affliction, but also during times of prosperity and blessings. They cover all the bases. During the affliction, uh, the goal is to get people to blame God for allowing such a thing to happen. And if you watch atheist morons on YouTube, and it's always, well, I can't believe in a God who would allow suffering, who would allow little babies to die of starvation in Africa. I can't believe in such a God. Well, it's not God's fault. It's man's fault that these things happen. It's due to sin. It's due to man's rebellion that death has come into the universe and sickness and all these calamities. It's due to man rebelling against God and man committing sin. It's not God's fault. It's man's fault. But that is one thing. So the goal of affliction is to get people to deny God and to blame him for allowing such a thing to happen. And uh, a lot of Jews became atheists during the Holocaust. Uh, and the Holocaust was caused by, of course, the sin of the Germans and the sin of the Jews. I mean, it's part of it was judgment. Satan is an expert at blame shifting. Poverty and high crime rates and black ghettos are the result, we are told, of white privilege. It's, it's not their fault that they're robbing the lady and uh, shooting people and taking people's money and burglarizing houses and stabbing people. Oh, no, that's white people's fault. Now, if you believe that, you're an idiot. But a lot of people believe that, as we saw in the last election, apparently. Communists blame poverty and poor conditions on rich people. It's their fault. Even though their work is totally voluntary, and, of course, many rich people treat workers quite well. Okay, if you don't like your job and you think you're being oppressed, all you have to do is say bye-bye and quit. Henry Ford, for example, raised wages above the, uh, the norm, and he instituted the 40-hour work week. He did so without government control. He understood that workers uh, that like their jobs, that are happy, that are happy and healthy, are good workers. It just makes sense. And of course, as we know, every country where socialism has been tried is brought nothing but oppression, tyranny, and great poverty. So, but we're always told, well, it wasn't perfect socialism. It wasn't the ideal socialism or whatever. Adam blamed Eve for his sin, and Eve, of course, blamed the snake. With times of prosperity, Satan's goal is to get professing Christians to think they do not need God or to forget about the importance of the practice of solid Christian piety. Everything's going great. I'm happy. I got everything I need. Why do I need to think about God? Why do I need to be reading my Bible and meditating on God and praying and stuff? Why do I need that? I'm doing great. The devil will use success and prosperity to stimulate pride and thoughts of self-sufficiency. Thus, rich men are often very arrogant and boastful. 
Think of Donald Trump, for example. Now, was Donald Trump a good president compared to other presidents? Well, he was the best president by far since Ronald Reagan, way better than both Bushes and uh, way better, obviously, than the Democrats who are evil. Uh, but is he an arrogant fool? Yes, he is. Did he lose the election because he can't keep his mouth shut and he can't control himself because he's out of control with his mouth and he runs his mouth like a fool? Yes. Rich men are often full of pride, and he's got a problem with pride. And, and aside from the fact that he's had a number of wives and he abandoned the mother of his children, which is wickedness. This worship of Trump by conservatives and by many professing Christians is inexplicable. It doesn't make any sense. Is he way better than the Democrats? Obviously. Obviously way better. But that doesn't mean he's a wonderful Christian. He's not. <clears throat> this is a constant problem in Israel's history, where instead of thankfulness and a focus on glorifying Yahweh for blessings and economic gain, prosperity became an end or goal in itself apart from a dedicated service to God. And I watch, I'd like to watch stuff on archaeology. Well, I watch one amazing thing. You know, they found the tomb of James, the brother of Jesus. I don't know if you know that. They found the, the box where they keep the bones. And uh, they've very hard tried to prove it's not real, but the dirt inside of it dates to the first century. It says, James, the son of Joseph, the brother of Jesus, right on it in, he in Hebrew. But anyway, but uh, they did archaeology on Israel in the time of their destruction by Assyria, which is around 722 B.C., and it was a time of incredible prosperity. People were buying ivory. People were buying ornate, beautiful furniture. It was a time of economic prosperity, and they forgot God, and they worshipped idols. Such forgetfulness and unthankfulness, which leads to a lack of biblical humility, results in syncretism, apostasy, and idolatry. And here's a passage we should all be very familiar with. For those of you, I know people that like to memorize scripture, this is one to memorize. This is Deuteronomy 8, 8, 11, and 19. Listen to this carefully. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes which I command you today. This is, of course, Moses preaching they're reconfirming, uh, they're, they're recommitting themselves to the covenant before they enter the promised land. These are Moses' sermons. Lest, when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your livestock multiply, and your silver and gold are multiplied, and all that you have are multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you, to the great and terrible wilderness in which you were fiery serpents and scorpions and a thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, that he might test you to do you good in the end, then you say in your heart, My power and my might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. Then it shall be if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify you against, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. What a great passage. The temptation for our prosperous people is to think, well, you know, I really don't need God. And I remember I was witnessing to a wealthy man, this is way back, and he said to me, oh, he said, oh, religion, that's for poor people. They need to have a crutch. They need to think about something better above. It's a fantasy. We don't need that. We're wealthy. Everything's great. Everything's great. And, of course, think about the story where Jesus talks about the man who built extra barns and had a great harvest and he had great riches, and then his all of a sudden he dies, and he's held to account. The demonic philosophy is sanctification in reverse. 
people are preoccupied with material success and forget about God, as well as the value and importance of Christ's amazing redemption, and thus neglect and reject the law of God. In the parable of the sower, Jesus warned us regarding those who hear and receive the gospel. And this is Matthew 13.22. But the cares of this world and the deceitful of, de deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And the professing Christian bears no fruit. He bears no fruit. The Apostle John says, 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. A professing Christian can be enticed and sin without any demonic involvement. Now, we know that's true. But the demonic forces are well aware of the enticements of the world, and they seek to tempt and influence Christians into an acceptance of worldliness, where Jesus Christ in the Bible takes second place in one's life material things become more important. And when anything becomes more important than Christ, what is that? That's idolatry. It's a form of idolatry, a species of idolatry. And I'll never forget, I was in seminary, and there was a young guy in seminary. And he dropped out of seminary and got a really good paying job and bought a Corvette to chase girls. And I said, what are you doing, man? I thought you were going to go to seminary and serve Christ, you know, do this and do that. And he said, oh, no, no. He was attracted to the allurements of the world. Church, church and piety, we are frequently told, belong in the church and the prayer closet, or only between one's ears. But the Bible and the Christian world and life view must be kept, uh, and we're told the Bible and the Christian world and life view must be kept out of po politics, schools, the curriculum, corporations, the courts, and the arts, etc. And the result is a profession of Christ with no tangible fruit. There is a profession of faith, but a walk that largely ignores Christ and the application of God's law word to every area of life. That's why it's interesting how Moses, speaking by the Holy Spirit, begins that section. Don't forget God's law. You forget God's law, you're going to forget about God. The, the law of God, the moral law, reveals the nature and character of God. The gospel of accept Jesus, easy believism, without repentance, and counting the cost of discipleship, and also churches are uh, as entertainment centers where people are taught psychological gimmicks in the prosperity message, are simply theological reflections of a demonic compromise with the world. It's not simply men who want to have giant churches so they have a gospel of prosperity where you focus on self and getting rich and being prosperous and being happy. Uh, those things are very secondary to true believers. Victory requires vigilance, watchfulness, and a mind saturated with scripture so we have the proper armor and weaponry to fight the devil. The demonic hosts love nothing more than to have counterfeit Christians who are not a threat to the devil's kingdom because they are part of it and are unwittingly supporting it. The goal of Satan is not a return to some form of neutrality, but the replacement of Christianity with paganism. Whenever the Israelites forgot about the true God, they always turned to idolatry. Always! The Israel's apostasy toward the Baals, the god of rain and thunder, and the Asheros, the goddess of fertility, was related to economic security and prosperity. The only path to real lasting blessings is faith in Christ and a thorough application of God's moral law to individuals, families, and societies or nations. When a culture forgets God, it creates new anti-Christian demonic laws. Therefore, the nation that forgets God shall be turned into hell. Psalm 917, see Deuteronomy 32, 22, and of course Isaiah 1, 4 to 9. 
If the demons succeed, not only will the people end up in the lake of fire where all apostates belong, but individuals and apostate societies will also suffer Christ's formal judicial judgments in history. Elections have consequences. It's one thing if you have a dictator like Putin and you, you know, and you're under this terrible dictator and you, your nation receives covenant sanctions and you hate Putin and you never would have voted for him. But in America, people are voting for Satanism. People are voting to murder babies. People are voting for sodomite marriage and sodomite rights. Our, our, uh, the Democrats are going to universally support sodomite marriage, the Senate. And thir I think it was thir 12 or 13 Republicans are voting for sodomite marriage, which is blasphemous. It's a slap to the law, uh, to God's face. It's inviting God to judge our nation. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Proverbs 14.34. Psalm 33.12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So, Satan doesn't merely use affliction where you're tempted to say, well, it's God's fault. You don't blame the proper people for sin. God doesn't sin. He can't sin. He can't encourage evil. And also, Satan and the demons use prosperity. Then they use it very effectively, especially in places like America, which are extremely prosperous. The Western nations have followed Satan's philosophy and have done virtually everything they can to cast Christ and the biblical law behind their backs. Following the demonic principle that economic blessings and happiness can only come through human autonomy. Self-law. They really believe they will achieve blessings without bowing to Jesus Christ and adhering to the moral laws revealed within Scripture. And the result of the great apostasy, however... It's been a societal disaster. The breakup and even redefinition of families. The divorce rate in Puritan New England, we're talking in the early 1600s, whatever that was, uh, was, I think, 0.002%. People didn't get divorced. People, the adultery rate was about the same. Righteousness is the path to prosperity. Absurdly high divorce and suicide rates. The suicide rates right now are the highest they've ever been in history, in America. Rising crime and homelessness. Economic calamities as well as the great rise in immorality. When I was 14 years old, we would hitchhike to San Francisco and go to Chinatown and walk all over the city. Now we would sodomites would try to pick up on us, of course. But now you have to dodge needles and human excrement, and there's homeless everywhere. And if you park your car for more than 15 minutes, expect a broken window. Now the effects, <clears throat> man is free to follow the devil and reject God. But he cannot escape the consequences of siding with Satan and his love of, iniqu of iniquity. The effects of apostasy on culture are not always immediately apparent. The rejection of Jesus Christ in the Bible that took place in America from around 1880 to 1930 did not fully manifest itself until the 1960s. The blessings of the biblical worldview in society can take a generation or two to bear widespread satanic fruit. And we are witnessing this maturation before our very eyes. When Obama ran in 2008, that's not very long ago. That's not very long ago at all. He had to say that he was against homosexual marriage or he would not have been elected. I don't know if you remember that. Now... All the Democrats are openly in favor of sodomite marriage, which is an abomination. It's not marriage. You can call it whatever you want. Two guys living together and sodomizing each other like perverts, that's not marriage. And that's not a family, biblically defined. You can call it whatever you want, but it's not a biblical family. It's not a family at all. It's, a, it's an abomination. Uh, that is all, the, all that has been accepted. Who would ever think that we we're to the point now where all that's accepted and people vote for it? 
virtually everything good that God has established for mankind, the, homo, the heterosexual nuclear family, one man, one woman, and children, property rights, the real rule of law, that is the moral law, is absolute, unchanging, and non-negotiable. It does not evolve and is above the state. The state can't simply say, well, we're going to take this money here and we're going to give it to these people who borrowed money for college. Oh, you're renting an apartment? Well, you don't have to pay your rent for a whole year. Too bad for those people. Property rights are dissolving because that's part of communism and socialism. The Christian work ethic. The protection and sanctity of marriage, biblically defined. The concept that civil magistrates must punish criminals and protect victims. All this is now being rejected and openly hated by the left and most secular humanists. When men forget God, they worship idols. And they develop demonic, hateful, tyrannical cultures. And they create a law order that is thoroughly satanic. Go to the big democratic cities where criminals are not being punished and victims are told to pound sand. Too bad. That's too bad. We're going to let this guy go. Number six. The devil uses political and religious leaders, that is, persons of power and influence, to tempt people to compromise with evil and even persecute the church. And I hope you can see how when we have a wicked leader, like Obama, for example, we had him for eight years, he pulled the nation in a satanic direction very quickly. Very quickly. People are influenced by their leaders. There's a reason the Bible calls people sheep. People are generally pretty stupid and they follow what's going on around them without much thought. That's why we need God, we need Christ and the Holy Spirit. When Paul and Barnabas preached the word of God to Sergius Paulus, the proconsul, Elymas the sorcerer, this is, from, this is a quote from Acts 13.8. Oppose them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Civil leaders have a very strong influence over society. Through example and by the law order that they put in place. The masses are like sheep. And many are swayed by evil deceitful leaders to strengthen Satan's influence over society and oppose the kingdom of Christ. A man was arrested in Canada, arrested, because he refused to call his daughter her. He did not use the proper pronoun, and he was, he's placed under arrest. And people in European countries who have preached sermons against homosexuality have been arrested and fined and so forth and jailed. There is no neutrality. Satan wants a completely anti-Christian law order. Throughout history, pe people have followed the lead of civil leaders to their own poverty and destruction. When Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, set up the syncretistic idolatrous form of religion in northern Israel, the whole kingdom, kingdom followed him into apostasy and judgment. Now, later on, when there's a, things get extremely bad in the north and there's a covenant, there's a righteous king in the south, we read that there were, there were the remnant of godly people in the north, they all moved to the south. They all moved to Judah and joined themselves to a righteous law order. And then, of course, Syria came in and destroyed the north. And people were slaughtered and sold into slavery and the nation was scattered. The wicked kings of Judah promoted idolatry and led the people away from God. Righteous kings who followed God's law had the opposite effect. When Korah and certain tribal leaders rebelled against Moses, many followed their satanic lead in rejecting God's authority. Numbers 16, 1-3. God destroyed them by opening the earth and swallowing them alive. Numbers 16, 30-33. Demonic tyrants such as Robespierre, Hitler, Stalin, Chairman Mao, Ho Chi Minh, were popular leaders who at the height of their power were adored by the masses. In the United States, wicked political leaders have systematically led the people away from laws rooted in the Christian world and life view into a humanistic, antinomian, satanic law order. The state has no business recognizing sexual perversion and advocating it. Yet that's what they're doing, and now it's in the public school system. The state has no business 
taking from those who prosper, who make a lot of money, taking their money and giving it to people who make less money. That is theft. It's unjust. It's stealing. When a person does that, if a person does that, or if the person prints counterfeit money, the state arrests them and calls that theft. But when the state does it, they call it righteousness. What Paul said regarding Elimas the sorcerer applies fully to the Democratic Party, the progressives, and even many Republicans. All those who voted to codify the legislation of sodomite marriage, which is a wicked abomination in God's sight. Here's what Paul said to the sorcerer in Acts 13.10. Oh, full of deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, you will not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord. Doesn't that fit the Democratic Party right now perfectly? And many Republicans? Doesn't that fit them perfectly? The best thing our government could do right now, well, other than turning to Christ and restoring biblical laws, the best thing they could do is just not do anything, because everything they do is wicked. There are three covenantal institutions established by God, the family, the church, and the state. When civil rulers rebel against God and implement satanic policies, the whole nation suffers and the entire nation will come under judgment. So, even if you voted the right way, even if you're a godly, righteous Christian, if you're in a nation that follows this stuff, you will suffer. Now, God protects his people in the midst of judgment, but... You know, they have to follow biblical principles. You know, don't have any debt. Have some gold. Make sure you have a lot of good guns. You know, own your property. Don't have debt. The entire nation will come under judgment if repentance does not come. Look what God did to the West after they rejected the authority of Scripture in the late 1800s. World War One. World War Two. Of course, after World War I, there were a bunch of civil wars. There was a, uh, the Russian Revolution, the Civil War in Russia, which millions were killed, the Great Depression, World War II. Consequently, the devil seeks to control all the levels of political power, not simply to wage war against the church, but also to drive the unregenerate masses deeper into darkness and demonic slavery to the state as God. For this reason... The Great Commission requires the discipling of whole nations, not simply individuals. Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Now that's rather obvious, but dispensationalism told evangelicals and the early, the fundamentalists in the early part of the 20th century, oh, don't polish brash on a sinking ship, everything's going to hell in a handbasket, you're wasting your time. Now negative amillennialists say the same thing. And they essentially handed society over to the devil and now they're paying the consequences. The civil rulers who do not bow the knee to Christ and offer him obeisance will suffer, will sooner or later experience the iron rod of judgment. Psalm 2.9, 110.2, Revelation 2.27, Revelation 12.5, Revelation 19.15. The quest of evangelical and reformed churches for neutrality in the civil sphere to honor our Constitution is radically unscriptural. Now, it's one thing to say, well, uh, let's not have the state have one specific denomination. Let's have the state acknowledge Trinitarian, Orthodox, Bible-believing Christianity, and the churches can sort out the rest. That's one thing. You know, the state, we're going to follow biblical law, and we're going to explicitly acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. That's one thing. But our Constitution recognizes Islam, atheism, Satan. You know, they pay. There are satanic... Uh, chaplains who are paid, they're on our government payroll. It's one of the main reasons that our civil government and schools are thoroughly satanic today. We need to learn the lesson of covenant headship at the national level. When Satan wanted to bring calamity on a, the covenant people, First Chronicles 21, 1, he stood up against Israel and he moved David to number Israel. And that means he was numbering them the armies for the purpose of going to war and going beyond the boundaries that God had set for Israel. The result was a plague that killed 70,000 men, First Chronicles 
They paid the price for their wicked decision of David. A nation that legalizes scandalous sins and abominable perversions will not escape the wrath of God. Satan has also had success by integrating false teachers into the church who often support civil ru evil rulers. The ferocious beast of Revelation is supported by the false prophet. Wicked leaders throughout the Old Testament were supported by false lying prophets who say peace, peace when there is no peace, who hurt the, uh, the daughter of my people slightly, saying peace, peace, saying don't worry about judgment, don't worry about obeying the moral law of God, don't worry about having faith in Yahweh. Do what you want. Follow the idols. They preach an antinomian gospel, and they encourage the pew warmers to become hardened in their sins. They preach a false gospel, and they deny the need for repentance and progressive sanctification. They cry peace, peace when there is no peace. Jeremiah 6.14, it's repeated in 8.11. They refuse to raise the biblical testimony against evil political leaders. They are not a salt and light to our society, for they have lost the savior of solid Christian doctrine. They've lost the savior of the application of God's moral law to individuals and societies and families. They corrupt the worship of God for humanistic trash and follow culture instead of directing it to obedience to Christ. From what we have observed, we can see that we need to put on the whole armor of God and cannot trust political or religious leaders to do the right thing. Historically, when Christian preachers have apostatized, the majority of the sheep had followed them into Satan's arms. The federal vision that broke in 2002, where these men were denying justification by faith alone, they were denying that. They were mixing justification with sanctification, like the Roman Catholic Church. They were arguing that you needed to do something to be saved, Coven be covenantally faithful or you won't be saved. They denied justification. Did they lose people in their churches? No. Maybe one or two. The devil has put a lying spirit in the mouth of most of today's people's, today's preachers. See 1 Kings 22.22. And the people love to have it so. But let us not forget, there is no peace says the Lord, for the wicked. Isaiah 48, 22. Jesus' warning regarding the religious leaders of his day still applies to most of the so-called Bible teachers in our time. Matthew 16, 6, take heed and beware of the leaven of the scribes and of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The most dangerous satanic perversions of Christian doctrine originated with pastors, teachers in the church, seminary professors, and theologians. False doctrine works like leaven. It spreads subtly and can only be stopped when men stand up to such satanic attacks with the whole armor of God. We live in a time of rampant heresy and antinomianism. Because while Satan spreads false doctrine and damnable heresies, he has also convinced multitudes that correct doctrine, sound preaching, biblical worship, and God's revealed moral law as the standard for ethics are not really what is important. What, we're, what is important, we are told, is making the church appealing to unbelievers so the church will grow and we will reach more people. The so-called church growth movement. They deliberately cater the worship of the church, not to what God says, not to what God has commanded, not to what God requires, but to please unregenerate men. That's why they have rock bands in church and performances. Some have dancing. Many churchgoers argue that doctrine and concerns about purity of worship are divisive and not practical. Churches have been convinced by the devil to make preaching and the worship and worship palatable to the sons of Belial that those who want to carefully maintain orthodoxy are unloving, not friendly, not welcoming, and impractical. Professing Christians and many ministers have been deceived to the point where they confuse worldliness, ignorance, carelessness, and conformity to the modern zitgeist as Christian love. That's the situation we live in. And most of these megachurches follow that pattern. 
I know it's true. I, went, I was forced when I was in the RPCNA, uh, these guys in Indiana, this presbytery I was in, it was a horrible presbytery, and they required church. I was a church planner back in the 90s, and they required us to go to a church planning conference in Los Angeles run by the Christian Reformed Church, and it was all propaganda from the, the church growth movement. Where if you want to grow the church, you've got to make the work church fun for unbelievers. That's the philosophy. So you get 15-minute sermons that are little pop psychology ditties, and you get a ton of entertainment. Does the church grow when you do that? Yeah. But you're not preaching the gospel, and people aren't getting saved, and people aren't getting sanctified. They have substituted human traditions that please the devil for what the, for what the inspired and fallible word of God actually requires. Sola Scriptura has been jettisoned for a humanistic form of pragmatism. The whole counsel of God has been set aside for gimmicks, entertainment, and man-made doctrines. And many modern churches are more worried about offending humanists and heretics than offending the holy and righteous God of Scripture. And this even plagues the Reformed churches. When uh, Joe Moorcraft and certain ministers stood up to the Federal Vision back in 2002, people weren't upset with the Federal Vision for perverting the gospel and teaching all kinds of garbage. They were upset with George Moorcraft for pointing it out. With Joe Moorcraft. And he ended up losing half his church over it. That's the situation we live in. Don't rock the boat. You don't want to get Satan upset. Satan appears as an angel of light in many false preachers, and thus we must be fully aware of this highly successful attack and stand against it with God's armor. Okay, so that's the end of the application from last week. Now we come to the reason for the armor. The reason why we need the full armor of God is stated in verse 12. For... We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So speaking under the divine inspiration, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul speaks plainly about Satan and his demons, power. It is crucial that we do not underestimate the strength of those who seek to destroy us. The demonic hosts are contrasted with human beings. In Galatians 1.16, the apostle says, I did not confer with flesh and blood. What does that mean? It means I didn't confer with men. He's contrasting the power of men with the power of the demonic hordes. And he's saying the demonic hordes are way more dangerous and way more powerful than men are. The point is that Christians do not have any the point is not that Christians do not have any opposition or enemies among the human race for they obviously have many such enemies. It rather is that the demonic forces are not uh, are not mere frail weak men who have many physical infirmities and, lim and limitations. One can not only flee wicked men if you have to, but their opposition is quite plain to see. Any, any smart Christian, any Bible-believing Christian, knows that Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden are satanic. They know that the Democratic Party is serving Satan. If they don't, then whatever church they're in, there's no teaching worth its weight in, at all. The demonic forces are not only much more powerful than human beings, but they, are usually, but they usually are the instigators to evil temptation and persecution against believers. You see that very clearly in the book of Revelation, where it's the dragon, the serpent of old, Satan, who instigate the, both the false prophet and the beast to kill the Christians. It starts with the demonic hordes. It spreads to the humans. These very experienced and powerful evil spirit beings have a highly organized structure and purpose to defeat the kingdom of Christ by causing his people to sin, fall, and apostatize. They are dedicated to deceiving, outwitting, and defeating the careless, unprepared, unweary, professing Christian. A man with strength, skill, and physical weapons can stand against another man and win. Somebody comes and they attacks you. Maybe they have a knife. Well, you could pull out a gun and shoot them, or you could, you, if you're strong and capable, you could defeat them. But no man can stand against Satan and the demonic host and win 
without the power of Christ and the spiritual weaponry that only he can provide. Now, the word wrestle here indicates a very personal form of combat. The demonic hosts are not simply opposed to the church or Christianity in general, but seek to destroy every single Christian in this world. You will be attacked. They will seek to get you to apostatize. They will seek to tempt you. They will seek to get you to sin. Wrestling indicates a method of force where one seeks the complete submission of the other. In spiritual warfare, the goal is not a physical submission, but a spiritual one. The battle of faith, commitment, love, and service takes place in the mind and radiates outward to all of life. For this reason, our weapons are not carnal, swords, bullets, bombs, tanks, missiles, but spiritual, 2 Corinthians 10.4. Satan and his demons work close up, for they appeal to the old man, the flesh, or our sinful nature. See, for example, Romans 6 and Romans 7. And they work to stimulate our inner corruptions. And this revolution... Wrestling is universal, it affects every single Christian, and it is continuous, and it does not cease until we die and enter heaven. And of course, when our bodies are resurrected, we should glorify bodies that cannot sin. And that's when the Satan and the demons are locked up forever in the lake of fire. Now, to emphasize the reality and power of our spiritual enemies, Paul lists either the different, there are two different views of this, either the different ranks or positions of the demonic army, or the demonic hosts as a whole are considered from different perspectives. Those are the two main views. The word principalities, Greek, arche, it's also stated in Ephesians 1.21, Colossians 2.15, among humans refers to rulers or high-level civil officials, see Titus 3.1. The word as a noun means simply first or beginning and was used of chiefs or princes. First in rank, the, the chief the head. If these describe separate classes or ranks, these would be first in rank below Satan. The word powers, Greek akousia, means those with a high rank and authority. The description of the rulers of the darkness of this age tells us that their power or authority that they exercise over this, evil, this world system or order is for the purpose of spreading evil. Remember that. They want sanctification in reverse. That's why societies that abandon Christ and the Bible get worse and worse and worse over time. Forty years ago, homosexuality was illegal in every Western nation. People were still put in prison in Great Britain. Now it's not only legal, they have parades, and it's praised by our government. And they have LGBT, QRST uh, days and, and parades and all this, and the government honors it. The demonic warriors have a tyrannical hold over the world of lies, ignorance, darkness, and suffering. The expression, the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places, indicates that these demons are malignant, evil, cruel, and destructive of God's order for mankind. They operate in the heavenly places, which in this context means the realm of planet Earth or our, our atmosphere. And John Gill's really good on this. Uh, there are some even, like the Syriac, some of these other readings, the ancient readings, actually will say the, the atmosphere, the air. That doesn't mean, you know, there's different levels. Heaven can be used of our atmosphere, and it can also be used of heaven above, which is God's throne room. And it doesn't mean God's throne room here. It means they're here. While these terms and expressions are very helpful in understanding the power and wickedness of our demonic opposition, there is not enough information for us to define the nature of the demonic armies precisely. Paul wants us to know that they are very powerful and very dangerous. Now, from the Apostles' description, we can deduce that the demons have a power and authority through their evil influence that is especially dangerous to Christians who are lukewarm, lax, complacent, and unprepared for spiritual warfare. That's the reason Paul has this injunction, this command. Every demon has an area in which he exercises his ruler authority over unbelievers. 
Their message is freedom from Yahweh and his rule. But this tactic is a lie, so they, they can be the world, the world tyrants of darkness. Rebellion. Ethical autonomy and chaos. Immorality. Destruction. Freedom from the true God, Jesus Christ in the Bible, is designed to keep men under slavery to Satan and the kingdom of darkness. Okay, this is not simply a matter of, well, you know, I just don't want to be religious. I want to be neutral. God, may, maybe God exists. Maybe Christ exists. Maybe he didn't. We don't know. So I'm just going to live my life the way I want to live it. And of course, that's all a lie. You're either serving Christ or you're serving the devil. You're either under God's authority, you're a covenant child of Christ and God, or you're a covenant child of the devil. There is no neutrality. When Paul speaks of the rule of darkness, he does not simply mean the mere absence of light, but a dedicated, absolute antagonism to light. Truth, biblical truth, righteousness, justice, purity, faith in and service to Christ, covenant faithfulness. All these things, of course, are defined biblically. There is a strong hatred and hostility to God, Jesus Christ, Scripture, God's moral law, and Christ's people who are called in 1 Thessalonians 5.5, 5, sons of light. The demons hold unbelievers in an iron grip of slavery because of Adam's fall and the fact that everyone except Jesus Christ, the second Adam, who was born, of course, without original sin and never sinned, is everyone is born with a sinful nature, is totally depraved, spiritually blind, unable to comprehend spiritual truth, and is in love with sin and darkness. John 3.19, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. The ferocious hatred of Democrats, progressives, sodomites, the mainstream media, academia to scripture, the, the biblically defined family, Bible-believing Christians, Christian economics, is a religious hatred that comes from their covenant father, the devil. It has nothing to do with science. It has nothing... All the... <laughs> academia... They come up with all these studies. It's all just a big farce. It's all a bunch of lies. Anything that contradicts the word of God is a lie of the devil. The demonic hosts are using such people in an attempt to subjugate whole cultures and societies under their tyranny. Their great hatred and opposition to real Christians lies in the fact that only genuine believers who preach the gospel and teach the whole counsel of God are a threat to their influence and rule. They understand that. You can see that. You when the, when the now he was a Roman Catholic, but they don't know the difference between a Roman Catholic and a true Christian. So they get a Roman Catholic there up for a judgeship. Well, I'm really concerned that you have this religious view. I hope it's not going to influence your view of the law. In other words, I, I hope any remnant of the Bible is not going to influence the secular humanism and Satanism that we're practicing. Christ through his body, the church, is progressively plundering Satan's kingdom throughout New Covenant history. The demonic hordes, therefore, seek to turn professing Christians into apostates, which involves a covenantal change of sides to the forces of darkness. And the best example of that I can think of is Frankie Schaefer, Francis Schaefer, who was an extremely godly man, extremely dedicated Christian, who did much for the kingdom of God. His son apostatized, and then he joined the Russian Orthodox Church, or the Greek Orthodox Church, which is apostate. They deny justification by faith, and they worship idols, and they pray to saints, and so forth. They're like the Roman Catholic Church, basically. And then he became a left-wing lunatic. So he went from God's side to the devil's side. Or they want to get Christians to sin and or hold to serious errors and consequently be so undependable, unreliable, that they are not effective soldiers in Christ's kingdom. The church is not an entertainment center or a social club, but a spiritual army engaged in crucial, necessary spiritual warfare against the hosts of wickedness, darkness, and tyranny. I was a church planner old, almost 30 years ago now. And um, 
so I talked to all these people. I go, I went, I went door to door almost 40 hours a week for about six months. I had a very successful Bible, local Bible study, but I, I could never get people to go to church. But anyway, um, people who, the evangelicals I talked to, and these are professing evangelicals, didn't know what the gospel was. They didn't know what the moral law was. And they looked at church basically as something to make me feel good. The purpose of church is so I feel good and I have fun. And consequently, they're absolutely worthless for the betterment of society. Now, maybe they vote okay. Who knows? There's supposed to be 60 million evangelicals in this country and still the Democrats, you know, control the Senate when they have the presidency. But uh, we're in a war. We're in an army. You're in an army. So you better realize it. You better pick up the armor, put it on, and get to work. And don't be lax. Now, uh, that's all introductory. We'll get to the put on the whole armor, uh, Lord willing, next week, which begins in verse 13, where Paul is going to re repeat his uh, command, his main exhortation from verse 11, with a few little minor changes. And then he's going to tell you about each part of the armor. What we need for this warfare. What do we need? There's no substitute for the word of God. There's no substitute for the means of grace. There's no substitute for obedience to God. you got to see that we're in a war. You don't want to wait till you're in a concentration camp. You don't want to wait till the FBI kicks your door in because you said the wrong thing about sodomites or because you uh, tried to get women not to murder their babies. A Roman Catholic guy, the FBI, went to his house and arrested and, and <laughs> searched his house for protesting at clinics. No violence, just, you know, hey, these are babies, please don't kill your babies. We're in an extremely critical time of history. And if you don't want World War III, and you don't want to be uh, cooking a rat for dinner, uh, it's time to really pick up the cross, get your armor on, and start fighting in Christ's army. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this incredible section of scripture. It is amazing. Oh, Lord, our country is so wicked. It is so evil, and it has fallen so short. And they voluntarily choose wicked leaders who praise murdering babies, who praise sodomy, sodomites, and perversions. We deserve judgment, Lord, as a nation. We definitely deserve judgment. And maybe it will come strongly, but preserve us. Raise up godly men. Raise up the church to quit focusing on entertainment, start focusing on your holy law and sanctification and serving Christ effectively. In Jesus' name, amen.